God, we thank you for this opportunity. This truly, God, is an opportunity to worship. Thank you, God, we have a place to come, a building, a property, God, that we can ask that you fill this place, God. Fill it with your presence. Fill it with hope. Fill it, God, with miracles. I believe, God, even Tuesday night at prayer night, you are setting things up, God. We believe there is a revival that is happening now, and we certainly, God, don't want to miss it. We don't want to be falling short, God. We want to catch whatever you're doing. We want to ride the wave, God, of whatever you're doing. God, I pray that today, God, we have a true encounter, God. Help us to do the tough work in the heart. Help us, God, to hear your word, to respond to your love, God. We just believe that you are a miracle-working God, and you're still doing miracles, Lord. And we pray even in this hour that something has changed, something is broken, someone is delivered, someone is healed, touched, changed by you, God. We believe that where you said two or three are gathered, you are there. So we ask for a special dose of your Holy Spirit today. We love you, God. We give you all this today in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Please have a seat. I am so glad that you're here. You ready to go? Yes. Come on, open your Bibles. We are in Luke chapter 20. That word is life and that word is truth. Amen? Yes. I just want you to know from, from our heart here at NBCC that God, wherever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you're involved in right now, God loves you right where you are, not as you should be, not as you ought to be. He loves you. I want so much for NBCC to be a safe place. A safe place that you feel like, God, I just need to unpack stuff. I need to give you my hurt, my pain. I need to give you, God, my broken dreams, my issues, God. Stuff that I'm struggling with, sin that I'm dealing with, God. I can't seem to overcome this thing. I, I, I want so much for this not to be a place where you feel like, God, you got to have it all together. got to have it all in the right place. People are driving by every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, people are driving by churches all over our city, and our heart breaks for people who maybe don't come to a place like this on a Sunday because they feel like they don't measure up. And we, none of us measure up. That's what's so wonderful about the gospel. The gospel is for everybody. God's love is for everyone. Rich, poor, white, black, Asian, Latino, white. Everybody's welcome into the kingdom. And once we accept Jesus and we're in his kingdom, man, life is never, never the same. Amen? Amen. Whenever we step out for Jesus... Man, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be those who are going to oppose you. There's going to be those that are going to question you. There's going to be those that fight against you. I didn't realize this, but Walt Disney, who's one of my favorite, I just call leaders um, back in the day, I didn't realize that he received 950 honors, 48 Academy Awards. What I didn't know is that he went bankrupt at age 22. Walt Disney was rejected 300 times. He was fired from the Kansas City Star newspaper, catch this, for lack of creativity. <laughs> I think maybe his lowest point, and we can receive opposition from the world, but I have to believe that there were many low points in his life, and one of them was when his brother Roy got so upset with him and said, you need a nut house. He said, that's one place I'm not going with you. Many told Disney he'd be a failure. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs were the first full-length animated movie. And they said it would be an absolute failure. No one's going to sit for an hour and a half and watch a cartoon. And the rest is history, right? <laughs> Christian leaders, when we step out, there is two guys that are my Christian leader, leader kind of heroes. One is John Wesley, who started the West, Wesleyan Methodist Church. 
This is a guy back in the 1700s, and I've read books and books and heard things about him, watched YouTubes, and I'm intrigued with this guy. He rode over 25,000 miles on horseback, preached 40,000 sermons, and this is what he said, I want to reach the Indian people, but who will reach me? He took a ship to England aboard uh, many of the Moravian people. There was a storm that hit that ship and literally split the mass in two with a lightning bolt. Everybody was screaming for their lives, knowing that they were going to die. But the Moravians lifted up their hands to God and said, they sang songs to God and said, this is when we get to see Jesus. It was then that he met Jesus for the first time in his life, really met him in the heart. And this is what he said when those Moravians were crying out to God in the middle of a storm. I have a fair weathered faith. I thought I knew who God was. He taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church actually threw him out. Churches would not accept John Wesley. Literally, they pushed him out of the churches when he was invited to preach because he preached faith in Christ. He, he preached faith alone. He preached the gospel. He didn't preach all this high church stuff and religion and traditions and all those things that people were so caught up and they couldn't see the gospel. Literally, when he went from town to town, there were mobs that followed him and attacked him pelted with stones, chased in dwelling places, and he stayed, even tried to burn down the place that he slept one night overnight, and he preached in open fields, and people came by the thousands. But he faced opposition, and he never quit. Here's a guy named Charles Finney back in the 1800s, a little bit later than, than uh, John Wesley, He's the first guy who started the altar call. You know, we see at Harvest Crusades and back in the day, Billy Graham Crusades, and we have altar calls. This is the guy that started the altar call in the 1800s. So many people gave their lives to Jesus Christ through Charles Finney's ministry that they couldn't even count that many. He preached against slavery. He preached for civil rights. He stood out when no one else would stand up. And he rescued the lives of so many slaves in the Underground Railroad they couldn't even count how many. He pitched a tent and thousands of people would come. He led the second great awakening. If you're a student of Christian history, it's amazing what he did. And here was his strategy. Prevailing prayer, powerful preaching. No single man, here's what they wrote about him. No single man is more responsible for the destruction of the Christian truth than Charles Finney. The church hated him. They wanted to stone him to death. They wanted to get rid of him because he fought against the religious norm. He fought against society's norm of what they said God was. And he said, Jesus Christ loves you and you can receive him by faith. And the church didn't like that. They literally pushed those two guys out of the church. But no one, no one was persecuted more than Jesus Christ. I believe that. In fact, in this text we're going to look at, he was questioned of his very authority in 2 Timothy 3.12, I just want you to hang on this one. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be, not should be, not ought to be, maybe you will be persecuted. Remember last week we looked at Jesus who stepped into the temple after entering into Jerusalem for the last time. In three days, he will now be crucified. And they're yelling at the top of their voices, Hosanna, you've come to save us, Jesus. Finally, the Messiah has come. And days later, they would yell, crucify him. And he knew that in his heart. Where did he go? The first place he went when he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, expressing humility that he was not a proud, arrogant leader, that he was of humble heart. And he came for their hearts, their souls, as he went down into the temple. You remember this. 
making a whip out of cords. He drove them out of the temple because they were ripping people off in the name of God. They were doing horrific things in the name of God. And I think that's one thing that really ticked off Jesus. Jesus never was out of control. He never hurt an animal. He never hurt anyone. He was making a statement. You will not, you will not do this in my house. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone is welcome here. And what you're doing, the saddest thing that you're doing The most horrific thing you're doing, you're keeping people from knowing me. You're keeping people from connecting with me. The temple was a place of worship. It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of honoring God. And they're ripping people off. Families would bring a little lamb to be once a year given to the priest. And the priest would take that lamb. And they were so corrupt, they'd take that lamb, pretending that they were going to sacrifice the lamb. Because only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And they would take that lamb outside the back door and resell it after the family left. That's the stuff they were doing. Ripping people off. Hardworking people who loved God. And the most terrible thing they were doing was keeping people from God. These are the very same people that we're going to read about here in the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 8. They didn't just dislike him. They hated him. They wanted to murder him. The only way that they could get rid of the, the crowds that were following Jesus was to take his life. But I love Jesus because everything he did was in the spirit. Everything he did was in control. Jesus was never out of control. He was always in self-control, only doing what the Father has called him to do. Now, these, these people that we're going to look at right here are the scariest people, I believe, on the face of the earth. Because you don't know where they're coming from. Their heart, or I should say their life, looks good on the outside. They have all the religious words. They know the scriptures. They know protocol. They know what to do in the temple. They know what to do when people are coming in. But their hearts are so darkened. Their hearts are so blackened. And it's hard to see where they're coming from. Let's read this text. And we're going we're gonna to just... Stretch this apart as we're looking at the home stretch of Jesus' last week of his life. One day as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, some of your Bible versions will say uh, elders, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? Hmm. Let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven? Or was it merely human? Sidebar. They went over and had a board meeting. They talked it over among themselves. Uh, Jesus, could you excuse us for a second? We need to figure this out. They moved over to the other side of where Jesus was probably standing in the courtyard if we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they are convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they didn't know. 
Can you see these guys after the sidebar to figure it out? Okay, here's what we're going to say politically, trying to figure out what's the right thing to say in this woke generation. We, gotta, we don't want to upset the people. We don't want to. And they rush over to Jesus, and they got their hands in their shrouds, and they say, we don't know. Really? And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is golden. His, his response is so wonderful because he is asking a question. Here's the question I have. Why does Jesus ask this question? I, I hope when you read your Bibles, I hope you're reading your Bibles every day because revival is already started. It's coming. It's here. And God is staying the word of God. The word of God is where he directs us. And so whenever Jesus was confronted with something, he always went back to the word. So why did he say, tell me about John's baptism? I just, I just want you to hold that for a second. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 3, because I want to take just a quick look at this guy, this fiery guy who was out in the middle of the wilderness. He dressed weird. He ate different food. He was out in the middle of nowhere. People thought he probably was... Oh, I don't know. They just thought he was from distant land, maybe some alien or something that came down. People had all kinds of ideas. Maybe he's one of the prophets. Maybe he's just out there and we don't know. But for whatever reason, the whole, we're going to read in a second, the whole countryside came out to see this guy, John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is who he was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And of course, John's clothes were made of camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust with wild honey, gluten-free honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many, watch this now, Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do you not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This guy, John the Baptist, was a fiery man of God. All he wanted to do was to please God and obey whatever God told him to do his entire life. That's all he was about. In fact, it says in the Bible, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. No one greater. Not a greater prophet, not a greater servant than John the Baptist. He had the privilege of ushering in the very Son of God. Remember that when he baptized Jesus, he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God, he's here. We've been waiting for him. In fact, it says in the Bible that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. We don't have record of anyone in the entire Bible who was so filled with God. The greatest thing you can bring to somebody's life is 
not all the education, not all the experience, but a God-filled heart. And I think that's why this says the whole countryside came out to see this guy preach because there was a fire of God in his soul. I don't think it was his sermons. In fact, his sermon was definitely not how to win, uh, uh, win friends and influence people. It was certainly missed the mark of that. It was not in this woke generation. It wasn't, well, we don't want to hurt feelings. We don't want to make anybody upset. Repent, man. Jesus is here. You got to get ready. He wasn't worried. He wasn't afraid. Here's who he wasn't. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. Here's who he was. Truth speaker. The voice. Pointing the way to God. You know, I've seen that movie, Jesus Revolution, so many times. My wife says, why are you watching that thing again? One of the things I love is all these hippies are finding Jesus, right, in the 1970s, late 60s. And all they do is this, right? One way, one way to God. It's the sign for one way. We're going to heaven because of the grace, the cross, because of Jesus' forgiveness. Our whole life has changed. Who could have saved the hippies? Nobody. But Jesus saved them and started a revolution that swept across the entire nation. United States of America is changed because some hippies found Jesus and it spread across. I think John the Baptist was one of those wild-eyed hippies, dude. Nobody was going to go near this guy, but he was so different. He was so on fire. There was something about him. People came from everywhere to listen to his message, and some of them repented. Some of them he baptized. Now watch this. His baptism was simply a baptism of preparation of repentance. That's, that's what I want us to see here out of this text that relates to Luke chapter 20. It was repentance that he wanted It was not just belief. It was not just change my life, fix my thing. God, fix this, heal this, do this for me, pay my mortgage, fix my kids, get me that house, get me this car. It was repentance, man. Repentance is what the church needs again. It's what I need. It's what we need. I know that's not a popular message, but it's the truth. The conviction of wrongs, more people are turning to crack than Christ today. We know that. That's to be true. You know what's true, right? And what are we going to do about that? Is God calling you and I to be an agent of change in the midst of even those that hated Jesus? Jesus says, if they hated me, man, they're going to hate you. So I'll ask the question again. Why did Jesus ask this question to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the elders, the teachers of the law? The only thing I can come up with is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Romans 2.4 says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God is a kind, forgiving, loving God. He says, I want you to repent because I have so much more for you, but I can't pour into you unless you exit all the stuff out of your life and give it to me. Give it to me. He already knows all of it. He knows every rotten thing we've ever thought, everything we've ever done. He knows it all. And here's the wonderful thing about God. I don't understand how he still loves me. I don't understand why God still likes me. Why why does God still hang with me when I don't always do the right thing? That's the wonder of the gospel. That's the wonder of Jesus' love for us. 
Acts 3.19 says, repent and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from God. Peter replied in Acts 2.38 when he saw thousands of people standing in Jerusalem after Jesus had already risen from the dead, spent 40 days and ascended into heaven, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, one of my favorites, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and here's the key, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, then I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. How many of you believe that we need our land to be healed? We need our land to be healed, don't we? One of my professors said, the only way to fix racism in this country is one heart converted at a time. You can't legislate morality. You can't make somebody love someone. You can't make somebody be kind. But Jesus melts my heart where I want to be kind and loving to people, right? That's the church. The church of Jesus Christ is Jesus. Jesus in society. Jesus down at at, at Steinmart. There's no more Steinmart over there. Jesus at Home Depot. Jesus is at AMPM Mini Market down on the corner. Jesus is everywhere. We take him. And he wants us to be a loving agent of change, the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads him or leads me to say, God, I'm such a stinking sinner. I'm so sorry, God. How could I be that way with you? So I will ask again, why did Jesus ask the question? You tell me, why did did Jesus ask this question of the elders, the religious guys? Anybody? Yes! Thank you, Eddie. Eddie, stand up. Eddie, Eddie, gets, the pro- Eddie gets the trip to Hawaii. Dude, you win. Woo! Because he wanted them to repent. He lo- Did Jesus love the elders? Yes. Did he love the Pharisees? Did he love the Sat? Yes, he loved them, but his heart was breaking. Do you remember in chapter 19, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he cries. He weeps over the very people that he came for. He came first for the Jew and then for everybody else. And these are the very people that are looking at Jesus square in the eye and they're trying to entrap him. He knows exactly what they're doing and that's why he says, checkmate. Tell me, was John's baptism of God or was it just of man? Because he wanted, he so wanted them to say it was of God and for them to fall to their knees and recognize, yes, you are my Messiah. I receive you now. I'm a completed Jew. They could have started Jews for Jesus right there. But they missed it. They missed it. I know some of you here today, your heart is breaking for your child. Your heart is breaking because your grandchildren aren't receiving and following Jesus like maybe they did as a kid. Maybe you knelt down with your kid at the bedside, your child, and remember those days of innocence. Mommy, I want to receive Jesus. Daddy, I want God in my life. Daddy, I want to get baptized. They, They do the nine yards and all of it, but something happened along the way where the enemy is so sly. He got in there and he pulled them away to follow the world, and your heart is breaking. We call those kids the prodigals never give up on anyone jesus never did until the very day that they took their last breath they still had chances why why did jesus call a guy named jonah to go to nineveh jonah hated the ninevites 
because they were so cruel. They were the most vile people on the face of the earth besides the Vikings. They were horrible, vile people. Not even stuff that we could describe in this moment. It was so horrible, the things that they did to people in torture. Jonah wasn't going to go. In fact, he went miles south of where God called him to go. You know the story. The fish grabs Jonah and he's swirling in there for three days after being thrown off the ship. He says, look, man, I'm the reason the storm is coming. Throw me off the ship. This, this huge fish swallows him up. And then he regurgitates him. He vomits him out on the shore right in front of the Ninevites. And he's bleached white. He's got nothing, no hair left on him. He looks ridiculous. And he walks through the town. And it's the shortest sermon. You can read it. Repent. Repent. And here's what I love. The whole city, the whole city and the king, everybody repented, got right with God, and God spared the city. Why? It wasn't Jonah. It wasn't the fish. They were just tools in the hands of a God who was amazing, who could do miracles. God set it up already for it to happen before Jonah even got there. But he chooses to use people like you and me in situations that call people, turn to God. Man, don't wait. God is so good. He's done amazing things. He can do even greater things. John's baptism is a sign of God's kingdom coming in our heart. We got some folks who are getting baptized after second service today. Every time somebody gives their life to Jesus, man, I'll stay for hours. I never get tired of the story. I never get tired of seeing people who say yes to Jesus Christ, and you fall back into that water. It's a beautiful sign. It's just a sign. It's, it's a symbol, something physical that's happening in the spiritual, in our spirit, in our heart, that this person has said, yes, I received Christ as my Savior. I've repented of my sins. I love him. I want to turn my life over. My life isn't what it ought to be, but God has received me and I received him. We go back into that water. We're saying, yes, I identify with him. He got baptized. He hung on a cross. They put his body in the tomb. He raised from the third, he was risen from the third day. And I'm identifying with that, his death and his resurrection. And then when we get baptized, the second part of that is we are dying to self. Ah, that's the part that we miss. In the American church today. Yes, I want to believe in Jesus. Yes, I want heaven. Yes, I want Holy Spirit. Yes, I want forgiveness. Yes, I want love, joy, peace, patience. Just pour it on me, Jesus, because I need more patience, right? And God is saying, you must die to yourself. That's the church. Christians who don't die to themselves, that was the elders. They would not die to themselves. They were so stuck on themselves. For the first 18 years of my life, I was so prideful, so arrogant. Life was all about me. I was the most selfish person on the face of the earth. If you knew me before, I mean, some of you don't like me now, but at least I'm trying. But I, I'm just saying, before I met Jesus, I was horrible. You wouldn't want to hang with me. I only had a few friends. I was a nut. All I did was play tennis all day and every day after school. I had a few tennis friends. That was my life. And I was going down the tubes because I couldn't figure out why I was here and where I was going and what my purpose was. And Jesus Christ got a hold of my heart because I wanted to date some blonde going down to San Juan. As soon as I got out of the, park, out of the car into the parking lot, I didn't even care about who the blonde was. I just felt the presence of God in this place with hundreds of other high school kids that named the name of Jesus Christ in their life. 
And I thought those people are crazy. They're nuts. I'm never going into a Christian thing. I only wanted to date some girl. As soon as this guy gets up with blue jeans and a t-shirt on, he didn't scram, uh, uh, take a Bible and wave it at everybody and scream and yell. He just talked about his story, man. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Jesus changed my life, and here's what he can do for you. He died on a cross. He rose again. It was like, man, I was the only one there in that whole room of 400 high school students. You ever been there? And right at that moment, I knew this is it. He's the answer. Here's what I want us to grab from the text. Maybe there's some of us here today. I don't ever want to assume that everybody here has already surrendered. Maybe some of us today... We need to just surrender. You know what? I've been in church for a long time. That's great, but church won't get you there. It's great that you're here. It's a personal decision to say yes. That's what he was waiting for, for these elders. You guys need to make a decision to say yes or no. Will you decide? I'm not going to answer your question because you already know the answer, and you know who I am. I've been here many times before. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes. You know who I am. I'm not going to play your game. Checkmate. Some of us here have been waiting so long. What are you waiting for? Don't wait. Jesus is the best thing that can ever happen to your life. So there's three things that I take out of this. Jesus has been given all authority. By what authority do you do these things? Who do you think you are? Jesus is all authority. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority has been given to me, right? He has given each of us now. Watch, this is where it gets good. He's given each of us his authority. I hope you know that. You have the authority of God in your life. He gives it to you freely. And then number three is he wants you to walk. He wants me, us, together to walk in that authority. Mark one twenty one. people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. Jesus didn't quote from other religious leaders he is the authority. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Philippians 2, 9 says, For this reason, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Colossians 2, 10 says, He is the head over all rule and authority. We could go on and on about this, but we don't have time. Jesus, without a doubt, is all authority. And you have now that authority. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, AM, PM, at Home Depot, at Lowe's, in your, in your neighborhoods, when you drop your children off for school, when you go to Saddleback College, when you go to Fullerton. You will be, you will be my witnesses. Look, whether or not we agree with it, we are a witness. You don't have to try. I'm going to try and witness. You are a way. You carry who you are to everyone. And we, don't we want so much for this world to change? And the way it's going to happen is one by one, one life at a time, one heart at a time. Acts 4, 7 through 10. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter and John, I just want you to see this really quick. Peter and John, they're in Jerusalem. This beggar, lame beggar, is sitting by the city gate. Everybody knew who he was. We don't know exactly how long he was there, but he must have been there a long time. He asked for money. He asked for physical things. This is what he said. Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I give you, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. How could Peter do that? How could Peter say with confidence, get up and walk, man? You aren't convinced? Here's another one. 
In Acts chapter 4, 7 to 10, a little bit later on, they and Peter and John brought before them, they began to question them, these elders, by what power or name, who do you think you are, Peter and John? They did the same thing they did to Jesus. Then Peter, watch this, filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called on account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, Israel, everybody, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you, talk about truth, whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. I'm saying today is this, and I include, I needed a wake-up call in my life because sometimes I don't realize that we have his authority. He's called us to walk in his authority, but here's the question, to do what? Uh, 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 are we supposed to go to the, the swap meet over at uh, you know, Del Mar and just walk through every tent and just, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed? Here, sprinkle some water on this person. Just be healed, be healed in Jesus' name. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just, I don't think it's all about that. I, I just... Let's, let's put this graphic up here that I just want to show his power, right? It's by his power. But So here's the question. Yeah, most of you here, you love Jesus. You've given your life to Jesus. You've gone the full commitment. You said, yes, my heart is for, But how come I can't seem to walk in his power? What is it that I, I feel sometimes stuck? Here it is. Holy Spirit power, but look what I... Look what we have to take out. I. Because one, we were sitting in a pastor's workshop and someone asked a question. What's the biggest hindrance to the church today? And I said, me. I said, oh, I shouldn't have said that so fast like that. But it's the truth. Sometimes I'm my worst enemy. I get in the way. Well, God, I don't really believe you can do this. I'm really not made for this. God, I don't know what to do. I can't feel like I can't walk in your power. I don't, it's just easier to stay in the bottle. It's to stay with the pills because that's my comfort zone. That's my quick to. That's my run to. I feel comfortable to do this or that because it's my safe place. And God is saying, I have a safer place for you. But you have to take, Mike, you have to take you out of it. To get the Holy Spirit power to really walk in his authority. You ready? You're not going to like it. Are you ready? Abide in me. Jesus said, if you abide in me, he said, I will abide in you. In fact, he said to the disciples, the 12 who followed him, who loved him, if you guys love me, you'll obey me. We don't like that because what we want is we want to go down to the church on the north and the south. I hear the Holy Spirit is zapping people over there, and we want a quick zap. We want to plug in. Just baptize me in the, in the power of God, and we just stand back, and it. it's, it's not magic like that. I mean, God can do things like that, but, but, but that, that's not. It happens when I deny myself and decide to follow him. That's why Jesus asked them the question. You guys are making it all about you. And I can't move. Somebody answer that. <laughs> Quick. Maybe it's important. You know what, Mike? You're making it about you. You've, you have made your problems and issues become so big. Be real real with you. 
God said to me, you can't see how big I am. Because you have made your problems like this when they're really like this to me. I'm not saying that we don't have problems. I'm not saying, Mike, that this doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that this doesn't bring you pain. I'm not saying this doesn't cause you to question. I'm not questioning all that stuff. I'm just saying you have, you have categorized your problems to be like this. The size of a boulder, man, when they're really the size of a small grain of sand. I want to save you. I want to deliver you. I want to, I want to bring you to be able to deliver others. So the victory is already yours. It's already yours. It's already done. Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again already to bring us a victory. It's done. So here's what I want us to do. Here's what I believe God is saying for us to do, and I include myself in this. You and I, together, must make a decision to walk in the Spirit. It's a decision. If you're sitting here going, I'm not really feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. You don't need to. I don't remember anything in Scripture that says you have to feel anything. He just said, I want faith. If you step out in faith, sometimes the feeling comes, sometimes it doesn't. doesn't mean God isn't there. It doesn't mean God isn't working. I'll tell you what, when people get baptized, I love when they get out of the water. Sometimes people are like, yes. I love the people that lift their hands up. Yes. You know, they'll hugs and they're so excited how do you feel i feel alive my life has changed and there's some people that you know when they get out of the water they dry off now how do you feel i said well that's i, I did it it's, it's good neither one is different than the other neither one is less powerful than the other this is the key am i gonna make a decision come on mvcc we don't want just a quiet little church on the corner of geronimo market we want a powerful church spirit-led church that's willing to say i'm looking in the face of those who oppose me like jesus they opposed him and asked a lot of questions because they are not really sincere these guys really weren't sincere am i going to make a decision to walk in the spirit in that moment number two is this you must ask Ask him. You have not because you ask not. I knock on the door. Those who answer the door, I will come in. Come into your heart. It doesn't mean just one-time salvation. We already did that. I punched my time card and forgot. It's like that every day. God wants to sup with you. He wants to be in your heart. He wants to walk with you. He wants to say, here's what I have for you. Turn right, turn left. Plug into the GPS of spiritual life. I have things for you to do. And I want you to step out. Even if you look stupid, even if you feel foolish, you feel like, man, there's that person over there standing in line at Ralph's, and I feel like I'm supposed to just ask them if they need me to pray for them. That's dumb. That sometimes is God. And how else are you going to know unless you step out and really do what Jesus... I don't really want to love my... You wouldn't believe what my wife is doing to me. You wouldn't believe what my husband is doing to me. It feels like I'm crucified every day. Well, you wanted to be like Jesus, didn't you? Right? Sometimes we got to go low. We got to go low so that God can lift us up to a higher plane. Okay, you must step out in faith and obedience. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how else to do it. It just, just do it. Just do what God is saying to do in the word. Here's, here's what I want so much for us. Is that we walk. We live by the Holy Spirit. So Father in heaven, we're grateful that Thank you, God. We certainly can identify with what you went through. We know there are people today that are 
antagonistic against the gospel and against your goodness and the very fact that you are present, that you are real, that you are alive, we understand. And God, forgive us. Forgive us where we have fought back, where we have distanced ourselves. Maybe where we didn't walk in the spirit of love, joy, peace. And we took the easy way out. Forgive me, God, for when I'm fear of rejection or timid or not sure, and I backed off. Thank you, God, that you're in the second chances, third, fourth, fifth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I just pray, Lord, at this moment of having quiet and silence, that you'll really do the work in our heart, God. I pray this is not just another Sunday. I pray this is a monumental day, God. We catch your heart. Do what you've called us to do, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I just, I want to ask, I want to do something a little different this morning for communion. I want you to have communion. So then the seat back in front of you, there's a small emblem of cup with a juice and, and some bread. And this is just a time to commune with the Lord. But you know, I really feel like what we talked about, what's happening over the last month across our nation, revival is happening, it's here. And I don't want us to lose sight that that was just something that kind of happened. I, w- I want to invite you to come forward and fall to your knees and just kneel down and just... The purpose of communion is repentance. The purpose of communion is to ask God to forgive us, to confess it to him, and then he promises us he will forgive us. So where should the church, where is the church? When we say church, people of God, where are we the most in power? It's on our knees, in our weakness, because we know he is strong. I just want to invite you in these few moments, if you want to come forward, I just invite you to come and just, just you and God, just you and Him. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.